awesome and holy name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you guys don't have a Bible, I know there's not so many left over here. There's a couple more left. Come and grab one. Um, I was in a restaurant this week and uh, with my wife and Avery. And I don't know if you've ever been in a restaurant before and you've just looked around and you've perceived that everyone is very angry. Or that, um, I don't know if you've noticed this about the world in general, but the world lacks a lot of joy <laughs> on, on, the, on the streets and on the roads. We see that come out a lot. Um, in movies or portrayals of TV, we see that a lot. In reality TV, we see like just a constant lack of joy. And so I was sitting in this restaurant, and uh, I, I, like I, my heart was, was really burdened. I, I didn't talk to Heidi about it, but I was just watching everyone, the, from the waitresses to the people that were sitting in all the tables in this one particular place. I mean, to tell you, everyone was angry, every single person there. It was like all of their dogs had died on the same day, which is probably impossible, but it... That's really what, I mean, which would be a horrible day. I think we could all, all agree. But um, then, then something happened. I watched, I watched Avery, and she's very bubbly and very happy and likes to wave, even though she may not know what that means yet. But, and she just started waving at all these angry people. And to be honest, I was watching their reaction at first. And at first, like, everyone was, like, looking up from their food, you know, and just, like, looking at this little child. And then they go back down, just looking more angry than ever. But after a while, what started to happen is this little girl's wave brought something to these angry people. And it was so simple and so nothing. But pretty soon, like this booth next to me, like they were all smiling and laughing at this little girl's wave. And, um, and then the waitress, who looked like she was having the worst day of her life, like she comes up and Avery's like, you know, doing her wave thing and jabber or whatever. And the, the waitress smiles too. And then, like, ten seconds later, when Avery went back to her food, I just watched everyone, and they're, they're just back in their deal, you know? It was like just this little snippet of joy in their life, and then it was back. I, I, believe, I believe that the Word and Jesus and the movement of Christ, I, I don't know, I'm just so thankful to be here, you know? And, and I, I want tonight for their to not be a room full of like angry people that have just had like, you know, whatever kind of day you've had and we open the word and then like we get excited for a little bit because that we know like that's the conditioned response, but that the word like does something and Christ does something in our life, creating us to be people that are more joyful and more thankful for what Christ has done. And so again, I, I don't, I don't, I don't pretend to know how, or what kind of days you all had, or where you're coming from. But all I know is, is that I'm thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus that allows me to be here. And I'm tired of frowning, you know? I mean, I'm tired of being so overwhelmed by my circumstances and forgetting the power of the cross and the joy that comes in just simply knowing Jesus. And so I hope and pray that tonight as we open God's Word, that there's this, like, this sense of joy that grips us and that doesn't leave us quickly but that stays with us, and that overwhelms even circumstances. Are you, you guys with me? Is that, um, last week, Jesus made a statement at the end of an interaction with a sinful woman, and he said, he said, your faith is saved, you now go in peace. And I want us to think about that phrase for a moment, if we could. Uh, the sinful woman, um, probably a prostitute, like Jason taught last week, and um, 
her life was anything but peaceful, you know. But she breaks. She comes to Christ and cries all over his feet, which just had to be a nasty, humbling event moment. And then she wipes the tears off and then pours out this expensive perfume all over his feet in a complete act of worship. And then at the end of all of that, Jesus says, your faith is saved, you now go in peace. I think we think of that word peace as like, in like all war terms or something. Like we can't get past, like when we think of peace, it instantly goes to like world peace or the Miss America response or whatever. Like we can never get to that place where we can hang on what Jesus is really saying to this woman. Can we for a second, you know? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I know your life has been complete and utter brokenness and turmoil and that you spent an entire life selling yourself and you spent an entire life probably struggling with immense amounts of what you are as a woman. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I know that your life has been this riddled with, with, with ridicule and riddled with judgment and riddled with you're at the back of the pack. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Like Jesus connects peace now with a different life, right? Like he's like, hey, hey, sinful woman, because of me, you can go and live in peace because now you have purpose. And your purpose has just been emulated in the act that you just did. Your purpose is to constantly live a life of worship for me. And friends, I know like, I, I just I, I can't stop, uh, help but start there tonight because we're going to see a parable that just brings out more about what our purpose is and even more about what the purposes of God is. And there's this deep connection with peace and purpose. Think about the times you've been looking for discernment or praying and crying out for God to give you answers to questions that you have. And isn't there like a, this, this amazing thing you can barely put your hand on it when this peace overwhelms you and will we'll say things like, like, I just have this great amount of peace now. Friends, I want to bring us into where peace comes from. It comes right out of the mouth of a Savior. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace Go with this profound sense of your purpose now. And friends, it's in the purpose that God has called us each to that will open now to Luke chapter 8. So get there with me if you could. If tonight's your first time here at Matthias, again, I want to say I'm, I'm thankful that you're here journeying with us tonight. It's a blessing. Uh, we've been studying through the Gospel of Luke and we've been very grateful for the things that God has shown us already and and tonight, um, he'll definitely take us uh, to a new teaching and a fun teaching. And I'm excited. Verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke mentions kingdom of God 30 times in his gospel. Friends, what do we see Jesus doing here? Do we see Jesus ever at one point in the gospels getting confused about what his purpose is? Do we ever see him like, like sitting around thinking to himself, gee, did, gee, disciples, like I wonder what we should do today. No, no, it's constant, you know, it's just constantly in pursuit of that final Jerusalem. It's constantly in pursuit of, I know what my mission is here. I know what my purpose is here. And he keeps showing the disciples, there's no confusion about it. We're going to continue to travel until that time when we finally get to Jerusalem. Until then, we're going to preach news of what the good news of the kingdom of God that is here now. 
And that was the good news. The kingdom of God that has been pointed to the entire Old Testament is now here in flesh and bones. John the Baptist prophesied about it. Prophets of old prophesied about it. And now here I am. The kingdom of God is here and now. He never gets off mission. He never loses focus for a second, friends. We lose focus so quickly, don't we? Again, missional living, when we talk about what it means to be on mission with the person of Jesus, we say that the motive has to be love. That the action is obedience to God through the scriptures and proddings of the Holy Spirit. And the result is what? God's will by God's power for God's glory. And we see this constantly in the life of Jesus. His motive, thankfully, is constantly love, isn't it? And tonight, like, we're going to have to wrestle with that a little bit. And, and, and I want to propose to you guys that that we instantly attach this idea of love in the way that we understand love. You know, like, if you love me, check yes or no. Like, we have this, this cultural rhetoric about this word love, but friends, can I propose to you for a second? That is it possible that we have no idea the fullness of the love of Yahweh? Is that possible? But we instantly attach, oh yeah, yeah, my wife says she loves me, so that must be how God loves me and loves the world. I don't think that's the way it works, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I can't understand the fullness of the love of God, you know? So his motive we see is constantly love. And he doesn't do anything that's against the scripture. In fact, what does John say? That in the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And now the Word is taking on flesh and bones. Here it is. So he's he's going from one village to another preaching this message of good news. And verse 2 says this. uh, First of all, the twelve are with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, who who we see several times throughout the scriptures, from whom seven demons had come out. And seven is a number of finality here in the text. And so when we see the number seven, there's a great chance that that that's really bringing focus to this woman had a lot of demons in her. And for Jesus to cure not just five or six, to, to call out seven demons from her life, like that's just completion. Mary called Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, which there's several interesting things here. In fact, interesting to note, guys, in Luke chapter 24, verse 10, we're going to see her at the resurrection. Isn't that crazy? She has like two mentions in all the scriptures right now and then at the resurrection. And then finally, Susanna, who we know nothing about besides her name here, unfortunately, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. And, And there's several things going on here. For a woman to support a rabbi out of her own means is not irregular. In fact, it happened often. What this means is that whether it's a monetary gift or cooking food or serving a rabbi somehow, that women would often step up to the plate. It's also interesting to know, friends, that Luke captures more stories about women, women's involvement in the ministry of Christ than any other gospel. He brings attention here to the fact that these three women, among others, are following Jesus and serving him out of their own means. And that, like Jason talked about the, the, the scandalous hair letting down last week, this is an act of scandal. To follow a rabbi as a woman is different than simply inviting him into your home and serving him dinner. So for these women to even be on track, I guarantee you that Jesus would have been ridiculed for that. There would have been a, a religious leaders and Pharisees that were calling him out on this, but there they are, cured and following Christ. Why? Because they're thankful and grateful. Verse 4. Well, a large crowd was gathered and people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told them this parable. 
And a parable is a story that, that, that isn't to be taken literally, but is, it's, like a, it's like a metaphor or it's a story that represents something else in layman's terms. And so he comes and he's teaching this miracle. By the way, this is called the parable of the sower. In all three synoptic gospels, there are four consistent parables that we see. This is one of the four. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is separated from those three for, for many reasons. We don't need to go into that now. But in all three of those gospels, we see four parables, the parable of the sower being one of those. I need you guys to understand, though, that Luke gives us a little bit of a different picture. In fact, this, a sower would be like a farmer who sows seeds. Luke is going to focus more on the soil. I'm not a farmer. Don't, don't claim to be. We'll probably never be. Do we have any farmers in here at all? Any farmers? Just so we can give you props. Look at us. We're just bourbonites. You know what I mean? Just no. I mean, Jason, my friend from Vendée, is probably the closest thing to a farmer, and he's not even close, really. You, you live on a farm, though, right? You're used to. Yeah. Jason and Liz lived on a farm, so that, that's got to count for something. So you guys know soil. You know what it looks like. Yeah, the rest of us, we're just like, where does the grass come from? We're not really sure, you know? But a sower... Is someone who sows seeds. And Luke is going to really focus and hunker down in, in the soil and not as much in the sower. Look at this, verse 5. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Not good. Verse 6. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. For a crop to bear a hundred times what it was sown, honestly, in this day in Mediterranean soil life, agricultural existence, to sow like five times or, or even ten times was almost a miracle, but just a hundred times, I mean, that is a, that is a bushel, is that... Right? Yeah, farmer term. I mean, that, that bushel is selling like, that, that bushel is selling like hotcakes. That is a hot commodity, right? And I need you to notice that there's only one out of the four examples that produce a crop. So he gives us this image or this parable about four different types of soils. One that, that birds come and eat it up. Another that has no moisture and withers away. A third that gets choked by thorns. And a fourth that what produces a hundred times. I mean, this, is a crop. And friends, things get interesting. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. Or he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Which is really interesting. What, let's just make a guess here. What percentage of the people there had ears? You know what I mean? Again, there may have been the random no-ear person, which let's give them that. You know what I mean? Let's say, let's say there's one guy that, that doesn't have ears. And this, is, this really happens still. So there's one person out of the group that doesn't have ears. The rest of them have ears. So when Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Like I think he's talking about something else here. Couldn't we say? In fact, what I think he's saying, I didn't mean to do that pun, although that worked incredibly well. What he's saying is that, is that there is a different type of hearing in fact, what I think he's saying is there's a difference between hearing and hearing. See what I'm saying? Like you can, you can be with someone. Example, have you ever been in a conversation before? It's lasted about five minutes. You were disinterested after three seconds. And, and the person's talking and they're sharing. And after about five minutes, they turn to you and you've, you've been thinking about Barry Bonds and whatever else. And 
it, it comes back to you and, uh, and the person asks you a question about what they were talking about. Have you ever been there before? Is there any more awkward of a moment, right? I mean, they're like crying, right? Because they've just shared. They've just poured out their heart. And, 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 and they come to you and they're like, so anyway, I really need advice in that scenario. You really have a couple options at that point, you know? And we all know, you all know what I'm talking about. It's like option A, bluff my way through, just say pray about it, you know, which we've all done. <laughs> just pray about it. It's all good. Option B is to fess up and say, actually, I have no idea what you just said. I know I was here, but has that ever happened with your spouse, married individuals? Yeah, I know guys have a little bit of a tendency to do that. We need to work on that. But that, that's kind of the image that Jesus is getting at here. Like you can be here, but that doesn't mean you're hearing. There's a difference between hearing and hearing. And we need to understand this because, friends, things are about to get very, very... Look at this. Verse 9. His disciples asked him what this parable meant, Okay legitimately, right? You and, I are eating, or you and I are eating this parable. We're like birds eating stuff up, a little bit confusing. The disciples ask, so what does this mean? Verse 10, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. There is something special about you as my disciples that has been given to you. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. You see, the, you see the phrasing there. That's key. Have been given to you. Not that you have accepted or done something to merit that. The secrets of the kingdom of God have been handed over to you, have been given to you, which is key for us to understand because of this next phrase. But to others, I speak in parables. So, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but to others, implying there's a difference now between what's happening here and what's happening here. But to others I speak in parables, look at this friends, so that those seeing, they may not see. And though hearing, they may not understand. Like, what? We have a couple options at this point. In every teaching of the parable of the sower that I've heard, there's like a little like skip skipperoo here, okay? And so the disciples asked what it meant, and then Jesus responds, the knowledge of the secrets have been given to me, but to others I speak in parables, so that though, though seeing they may not uh, see, though hearing they may not understand, yeah, yeah, that's all well and good, back to the sower, because that's more. Is anyone else riddled a little bit with what is Jesus saying here like he's like giving this image of there's people like you that have been given some secrets of the kingdom of God and then there's others that I'm even going to speak to that though hearing they're not going to hear and though seeing they're not going to understand it's like when you're reading through this I hope your question is what is Jesus saying here, to better understand what he's saying, we have to see the context. The context is there's little, uh, what, what do they call these quotation marks around that phrase? Meaning what? That this has what? Been said before. So the next question is where has it been said and what's the context of that particular passage? In your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, would you please? Would you please? Isaiah chapter 6. 
Now, instantly, you Bible scholars, all right, Becca Short, instantly when you think of, Becca, not even a woot woot from you? Come on. Instantly, when you, when you hear Isaiah 6, like, what do you think of? For those of you that, that, that know Isaiah a little bit, I mean, this is the money Isaiah chapter. I mean, God calls Isaiah. Isaiah says the famous lines, here I am, send me, right? The, like the angels are singing holy. I mean, this is just a beautiful picture of Isaiah's commission from God. But there's something else hidden here that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. Let's pick up in verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? In other words, there's this image where God has shown Himself, revealed Himself to Isaiah, and then God's asking Isaiah a question, So so who's going to go? Because I need someone to go and talk to this rebellious Israelite nation. Someone. And then look, look, at, look at Isaiah's response. And I said, Here I am, send me, exclamation point, Climax of the message, worship band entree day, and we close the service. That's Spanish for enter, right? But the scripture goes on. And how the scripture goes on is what we must deal with tonight. Verse 9, he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Friends, Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Jesus is quoting a passage from Isaiah where God is telling Isaiah, preach so that their eyes will be callous and their ears dulled. Look, and look, look at what he says. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Is anyone even a little bit quite like, what is happening here? Look at the scripture goes on. Then I said, for how long, O Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined. And without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away. Friends, this is not easy. We can just as easily skip this part. But then we wouldn't be teaching the text. We wouldn't be dealing with the Scripture. The reality is, Jesus, when questioned about what the parable means says something that he doesn't have to. Can we all agree? He can just be like, as Savior of the universe, fellas, let me explain the parable to you. Here we go. But he doesn't do that. He, the Savior of the universe, quotes this passage from Isaiah chapter 6 where God is telling Isaiah to preach to a rebellious nation in a way that they will not be healed. It's like, it's like there's something bigger happening here. And then you put it in the context of the parable of the sower, and it's like, hold on a second, hold on a second, what is happening? Friends, God is bringing us and honing us into the fact that His purpose is to bring Himself more glory. That God in His sovereign plan, is about exalting His 
name. We must not for a second get confused and think that we, friends, that we can somehow play a bigger part in that story than the reality is that we do. The fact of the matter is that God is the only one that saves. God saves by His power and for His glory. And what Jesus is saying here is that the parable of the sower is a representation of the four types of soils. All four will hear the Word of God, but based upon how I, as God, mend the soil, prepare the soil, that is how people will respond to me. Tonight, it's not a teaching some other word. It's not... And, and, and I know like instantly, like some of you guys in your stomach, you're like, I don't know that I can get that. And that is why I'm thankful to say he's in control. And I'm thankful to say I don't have to get all of that except to be thankful that he is sovereign and that he's about his glory. If things were about our glory in the pursuit of ourselves, friends, what would that mean? What does that imply? This scripture is specifically pointing to the fact that God is sovereign and saves by His plan. God is love. We 100% believe that and loves the entire world. But the reality is, is we've placed a human understanding of love on God that we cannot grasp. So here we are in the parable of the sower. And Jesus throws this like weird passage in there purposefully to bring attention to himself. And what we're going to see here is that it brings attention to the fact that we are called to sow. We are called to spread the word of God and God is the one who is in control from there. We sow, he saves. You guys see that? We sow. We preach the Word of God. We spread the Word of God. And at the end of the day, we get the blessing of saying, I'm thankful that you save and that I do not. I'm thankful that no word that comes out of my mouth can save anyone, but only by the power of God and the Spirit working in and through me will bring people to yourself for your glory. That is God, friends. Don't be confused tonight about some feeble picture of God that is about you and your growth and your potential. He's about Himself. And we should be thankful that we even get to be a part of it. That we get to gather. That we get to say, Holy are you, O God. I'm thankful that I can't grasp and understand all of the pieces of you, but I'm thankful that you will be high and lifted up and that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Again, friends, I'm not, uh, I'm not teaching anything that's not in the passage. Jesus quotes a passage from Isaiah 6, and that passage is clear about what it's saying. is that God works the soil and we don't. We sow, He saves. Alright? So now when we go back and put a picture on the parable of the sower, we can wrestle with it from a little bit of a different perspective. And friends, here at Matthias, we're all about God's glory and not the, not the happenings and pursuits of ourselves. 
That's the biggest thing that any of us can take away, even from this moment. God, be high and lifted up, please. Because this church is not about us at all. And guys, you see how quickly it can become about that. You see how quickly it can become about our next community love deal or our next Wednesday service and all of these relationships that we have. The fact of the matter is, is a church is, is supposed to be a group of people that are gathered together in pursuit of glorifying God. Period. So go back to Luke. This is not easy. But I hope that you would rather us deal with every passage honestly and openly than just say, well, that's really not the focus. Let's just get on to the parable. The reality is Jesus brings focus to it. Amen? Verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. I feel like at this point, Jesus is like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say like the hardest two verses I could possibly and put them together, right? The devil comes and steals it from, our, from their hearts so that they cannot be saved, right? As I'm first like reading through this passage, I'm like, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? It's just like, here's the deal. Spiritual warfare is, is very much a big reality. But... Again, without the previous statements, we would have a misperception of who Satan is and what control he has. Friends, Satan does not have any power or dominion that hasn't been allowed him by a sovereign God. To think that Satan can do something out of the sovereignty and plan of God is a diminishing of the work and plan of God and a raising of the work and plan of God. The devil. He has certain, and we talked about this when we talked about authority and power, certain powers here on earth, certain dominions here on earth, all of which Christ and God weigh over power, friends. Flee from the, or resist the devil and he will what? We have all of these scriptures that God has given us to flee and resist, but the seed that's sown along the path, in, in ancient Mediterranean fields, there would always be walking paths, right? Because they didn't have like John Deere's, right? I'm, a, I'm an international fan myself, right? So any of you guys know tractors? Yeah, international's the red stuff. Yeah, green, John Deere, bad, right? Anyway, um, that's coming from my dad and my, my grandpa. They had internationals. But the path would be seed that was sown on this high-trafficked area. And so it would be trampled on. And so if 1 Peter 5.8 is true, that the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, then the seed that bears no root, that's sitting on the path, trafficked on, and is just sitting in... I mean, how easy is that to eat up? How easy is that to throw a doubt in like Adam and Eve? How easy is that to throw a false teaching in to deter an entire person or group of people, the enemy is looking for someone to devour. And so the first image of soil is someone who is on this path and the enemy comes just because he's looking and implants doubts, false teachings, bad relationships, sin, and the image is birds coming down and eating that seed away. We see four times in Luke and Acts this image of the eating of the birds. I'm not sure why, it's just interesting. So that's the first image, verse 12 or verse 13. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word 
with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in, in the time of testing, they fall away. We've all seen this, right? So this, the second type of soil are people who get all excited about, a me- like, like look, they'll come to some huge rally or something and they'll hear a message about God's grace. And they're like, that is going to keep me out of hell. Yahtzee, I want him. Open the tract. Pray the prayer. I don't care what I do. Give me a real fire insurance card. Do whatever it takes. And they get passionate for a while. Again, all four of these hear the word. They hear it. It's there, right? And so they get passionate for a while. But what, what have they not done? They haven't counted the cost. They haven't counted the cost. And it's possible that the seed that was sown from a preacher or one of you casted an easy Jesus. Come to Christ. He'll bless your face off. And don't worry about the rest. Just come. We'll all be happy. It'll be great. We'll even give you a t-shirt. It'll be awesome. Come on, just come. We'll do this thing. But they, they haven't been painted a real picture of the gospel that Jesus says, no, 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 like this, is go- you're going to face persecution. If you're my disciple, people are going to hate you. And so when people sign up for that, they know exactly what they're signing up for. And it's not some like instant energy. It's like drinking a Mountain Dew and thinking to yourself that that's going to last you energy-wise for an entire year, right? Any of you ever had Heaven's Nectar, right? I mean, you drink it. And, I, and the effects have worn me, are worn off for me now. But for the regular uh, man, right, you drink it and you get this sugar bus, right? That, that's kind of what he's talking about here. You eat one of my wife's amazing chocolate uh, cookie bar things that are just, mmm, they're on a fr- in a refrigerator right now, right? And you get, like, you just eat that chocolate yum yum and it, it gives you something for a while. But friends, it does not produce a crop. Do you guys see this? There's no crop that's produced. And what is Jesus saying? That that soil is not a Christian. They hear the word and they get excited. But James 2 says that faith without works is dead. There's no crop that's produced. There's no fruit that's being born. And so, guess what? Gone. Verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures and they do not mature. This is the heart. The soil is the condition of man's heart. This is the heart that I would call wants the best of both worlds all the time. You know what I mean? Yes, Jesus, I love you, but in reality, I really love this world stuff too. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's the plan. And you're like writing it out, you know? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to do that thing, and I'm going to smile, and, and then on the side, like on my business trips, when, no one, when no one's looking, when no one's in my household... Then I'm just going to fill all of my worldly cravings. I mean, I get the best of both worlds, right? Like, what a perfect, and you've done this, what a perfect picture, right? I can do this, and I can feed off all the relationships that I get from church stuff. And then in my house, I just, I'll just do whatever I want to do. And then I'll come and repent and get on, the, you know, get on the hamster wheel and just do my thing. And Jesus says, no. Like, it, it gets choked up by the thorns because you can't serve two masters. It's impossible to say that you love the world and love me. It can't happen. You either love me or you don't. Have you been there? Have you seen that soil in your heart? Lastly, hope. Verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word 
retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. I taught a message at Two Rivers a couple years ago called The Race of Pace, and it was mostly having to do with uh, the, the idea of the Sabbath, right? Friends, retention, perseverance is a constant message all throughout the Scriptures that we are to keep the eyes on the prize and run the good race, persevering to the end. It's not a 400 meter dash, this life of Christ. It is like a marathon, as much as I don't like those and as hard as they are. You know what I'm saying? As much preparation as it takes, as much training and sweat and tears that goes into running a long marathon. You better have the right, you know, better not wear a new pair of shoes. You know what I'm saying? That's what I learned in my marathon. But there's a persevering aspect. That's this image of a Christian. They hear the word. They receive the word with a good and noble heart. God has worked the soil as the great sower. And then they produce a crop, not just five, ten. Or, uh, Matthew even says, like he gives, us, he gives us images of 30 and 60, but a hundredfold. So, so you're hearing this, right? And you're like, yeah, okay. So now I'm like trying to put the pieces all together. So you said earlier that salvation can only come from God, that God only saves, and that we see clearly from the text. And now we see all these different types of soils. It's like you're sitting there like, so what do we do? Right? So, like, where's the graph? You know? Show me how I get better soil or something, right? Like, give me some fertilizer. Like, what, what do we do here? We do what the disciples did after hearing this message. They took the word and they sowed. Genuinely, wholeheartedly, with motive of love, they preached the word of God and the good news of the kingdom. God saves. Amen. 100% believe that. Scripture says it. He does the work. Does that change the way we pray or the way we sow or the way no my friends in fact it brings focus to those things because now i get to sit and completely focus on i want people to hear the word of god because i want god to receive so much glory it's about him by his power people will be saved i get to lay my head on the pillow at night and say i'm thankful you're sovereign and I'm thankful that you will work the soil of the heart. I'm thankful that you do that work, friends. But here, here's what I fear. Here's what I fear. Don't know what this is, but it looks cool. Here's what I fear. Put seed in here. I feel like this is what some of you are doing. You know? Be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sowing. I'm sowing, man. You know? But there's nothing coming out. It's all this talk and rhetoric about you really preaching the Word of God. Friends, Pool party. Like we, all these hundreds of people come. Our neighbors are there. And it's like, I look around at certain times. And our nature is just to find the people that we're comfortable with and to hang there. I'm not going to move from this table all night because there is my friend and this person looks great and this is awesome. Let's just stay here and you pan the pool. And there are literally hundreds of people from right here who have come. 
because we've invited them. But we're, we're saying, you know, but it's like, hold on a second, there's nothing coming out. You've just surrounded yourself with everyone that you're comfortable with. There's no seed being sown, but I'm building relationships. You've built this relationship for eight years. You know what I mean? You've laughed and cried together. Put that on hold because you have 700 of your neighbors that are in your backyard right now. But, 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 but I'm shy. There are certain aspects that we succumb to that we blame on our personality, but the reality is it's not Christ-like. I know I'm out there and loud. Okay? I know that. And so you may be thinking to yourself, well, well, Mark, it's easy for you to say. You can walk up to a pole and talk to it. I know that's what you're thinking, right? I have before. It's all good. Was Christ engaging of people? Did He engage people? Did He walk up to people with the motive of love, ask questions? Or did he just walk around with a random seed sower with no seed in it and just be like, yeah, 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 this is awesome. Like we're doing the Christian thing, right? Hey, free community, free family pool night. Come on. And, and then you go to all your friends. You're like, dude, I can't. Like our church, we hosted this deal and it was awesome. No bait and switch. As you sat on the table with the same people all night long. Oh, I know. You said hi to like one of the people that walked in. Way to go. But like building a relationship and making sure that that person knew from you that you were so thankful that they came. And all of a sudden their heart is like, what is happening here? And then all of a sudden they're in your living room having dinner with you. I know you're a college student. I don't care. I know you're 16 years old. Invite them over to your house with your parents. Friends, I fear that like from this message, it's like, so what do we do? What do we do? We sow with the power of God, knowing that He is doing the work. And all we have to do is be obedient and get rid of this false gospel, empty, so seer, and yeah, I'm going to do it. And we get this thing, yeah, I've dreamed of this all day, and we start chucking and ducking. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're, the seed is just spreading everywhere. Why? Why? Because some is going to land on the path. Friends, only a fourth of the seed that was sown produced a crop. And we, so we just keep sowing. Excuse me, Susie. We just keep sowing. And it keeps spreading. And we're no longer saying, well, I'm just too insecure. I'm just too shy. We start saying, by God's power, we will preach the good news of the kingdom of God because we desire to give Him glory. Thank you, God, by your power that we can do that. So we can stop sitting in our comfortable chairs and we can start saying, you are powerful and because of that, I no longer fear. What fears do I have? This world is not even my home. I don't fear something that's not my home or that I don't know. What do we take from this message? Not that we sit in our room and huddle like some monastery or something. We sow seed. Un ashamedly, with great fervor and passion, we with the motive of love in obedience to the scriptures of God sow seed. We build relationships because we love God. It's like, you know, there's nothing coming out. 
Friends, I know this is a tough teaching, but is it really? We get to stand up now and worship and say, God, you're in control. We get to stand up and worship and say, God, I'm thankful that this world isn't spinning because of me. Let's stand and pray together. God, um, there are mysteries about you that I struggle at times just wanting to know all the ins and the outs. And I confess to you, God, that even tonight, and what this text implies and what it is, God, I'm just confessing to you that I don't understand every piece of it. But what I do know and what, I'm, what, I, what I am thankful for is that my life is not about me. So God, I pray for that realization to overwhelm my friends tonight so that we may leave these doors sowing seed, not with an empty word or a false gospel or a misperceived piece of you, but the true picture of what you are. That you, by your love and grace, say that it's your power and your sovereignty and your goodness. God, I pray that that just overwhelms us tonight. Despite some of the things that are, we're wrestling with in our heart, may we tonight just be consumed with your power and with your glory. Amen.